Carl H. Smith. Hello, Tim. I like the H for the differentiation. Me too. Because I presume there's probably quite a few Carl Smiths out there. There is too many. Yeah, there was a lot of Tim Horans as well, but I changed my name and now I'm the only one. Very clever. There are father issues wrapped up in that, obviously, and that's not something I would have planned on saying if we weren't in the current state we are now. But I'm very interested to sit down and talk to you. And we are here to discuss engineering humanity Mm. and altered states of consciousness, Mm -hmm. which is a very complicated and complex thing to even, God, feel yourself into as as a topic and... We have to be careful talking about some of this stuff because it's not precisely clear what humanity is. Mm. It's not precisely clear what we are. But perhaps you could introduce yourself first of all to our audience and tell us a little bit about your background and your interests. Okay, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm based in London and I run a research centre there at Ravensbourne University London, and the research centre is looking at how we use technology to learn. Is the very broad, is technology enhanced learning is the field. But when you actually look at how unsuccessful technology is in making us learn, then you start to look at why and what, you know, what are, what are all the sort of other aspects of, of us as humans that make us so easily distracted, so easily addicted, so easily, you know, sidetracked from cognition and how much of that can be um, fixed and it's a bit like with the whole mental health question. So if you're not well mentally, then you're not going to learn, you know. And um, we had a whole uh, debate last night about creativity and suffering. And actually, is suffering needed for creativity? You know, with a lot of bands, their first album's the best. Then as soon as they're successful, they sort of like take their foot off the off the accelerator, and then they become a bit sort of, you know. And a lot of artists actually become sort of very much like cheese. Mm. as they get towards their late latter years Mm -hmm. not many people keep up the innovation so it's that it's it's the human condition that i'm really interested in and how technology can help with that and one of the things you said we we don't know what humanity is um which is true and actually humanity is normally defined by what it isn't and we you know we we come up with all these ideas of um you know that we're that we're not this and we're not that and we're superior to all the other species whereas actually i think we need to address that and actually to be a lot more humble and uh you know we've talked a lot about transhumanism and all these things that are saying that we're going to evolve as humans whereas actually you could argue we're going backwards a lot of the time and uh by wiping out and you know causing such havoc in the in the natural world you know we need to really question what what, what we are and what consciousness is because if we're going to try and put consciousness into into machines and yet we don't really know what it is then what are we doing right absolutely and in particular if we want to capture what the human is in consciousness then that adds another little bit of spice to the whole procedure but i'm interested in i suppose talking personally a bit here what are some of the experiences in your life that have been most sort of iconically related to the the story you find yourself living now like mm. what is it that you find yourself searching for in in what it is to be human what is it there that has to be preserved what makes you want to preserve that like what are you, what are you searching for that kind of way of thinking if you mm. get what i'm looking at. Mm. yeah i suppose i'm really interested in the 
the multiple self, you know, and exploring that. I, I suppose I've, I've become aware that the, the cult of the individual is causing a lot of the trouble that we're, we're, we're experiencing. And a lot of my most powerful experiences have been non-dual. Mm -hmm. So I mean that, you know, you simply, I am both of us and so are you. Mm -hmm. And uh, having those sorts of experiences rapid, radically change your behavior because you stop thinking that you can throw things away because there is no way. Right. You know, it's, it's all you and everything is um, up for grabs. You know, everything matters. Everything matters. Everything matters. So simple experiences that, you know, happen spontaneously that you can't explain, like out-of-body experiences, life reviews. You know, these sorts of experiences are, I think if everyone could have them, like if everyone could have reliable lucid dream states, we wouldn't be so caught up in consumerism. We wouldn't be so caught up with buying the, the latest car because we would be so busy like driving fantasy cars in our, in our dreams. Hmm. Hmm. How far away do you think are we from that, that world where people don't want to leave their rooms? Well, I mean, that's, that's already happening. And if you think about the, the hikikomori in Japan, where they're already half a million plus are, are living in, in, in isolation, you could argue a lot of us are living in isolation, even if we are out in the world. Um, but I, I think that we can, we can explore these liminal spaces like the dream world. And, uh, you know, if you can, if you can empower people by giving them an out of body experience with technology or giving them um, a, a reliable dream, lucid dream state, then maybe, maybe they become more isolated or maybe they become more willing to see the world as a canvas. Hmm. So what came up for me there is I still under the, the rubric of feeling, thinking, seeing, knowing somehow that we are connected in really fundamental ways. Mm. That still doesn't precisely answer the question of how we should be given that's the case. Mm. Because it, it also seems to be the case that we're caught in a cycle of becoming aware ever more of our connection to things, but then also returning to a kind of cognition that's necessary for breaking the world up doing practical things in it it's not clear to me there could be coherence as such or life as we know it without that oppositional dynamic mm. that you might put in contrast to the kind of unitary oneness consciousness which is more of like a pure apprehension and it's not it's not precisely you can't talk about it as pure like there's, there's differentiation in there or not it, it, it it's very it's difficult to conceive of 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 being without there being both the non-dual state but then also the transition to mm. the to the dualistic which then becomes a sort of a state of multiplicity because of course there's so many ways you can box up the world and we're mm. all different despite being the same and it's also complicated so we have to find somehow some way of relating in that broad landscape where we know in some sense we are somewhat of the same kind but we all need unique places in it like the individuation process is the kind of particularizing out the fundamental conditions that are pre-given in a sense and they are realized in myriad unique ways then still have to sort of harmonize together as a collective mm. and so 
I wonder if anything comes up for you there. Definitely. To, to do with how virtual reality, augmented reality, could this be some sort of solution, do you think? Mm. Well, I think we, we definitely want to move on from dualism. I think dualism has its place. But if you think about, you know, if we define ourselves with dualism, then it, we lead to more discrimination. We lead to more cul-de-sacs. And um, I think definitely you don't want to be in a non-dual state all the time either but you 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 want to stack you want to create like a like a cookery book of um, different states of consciousness where you can reliably go into into them you can master your consciousness rather mm -hmm. than be a slave to mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. and i think it is your birthright to change your consciousness like you change the channels on your television mm -hmm. and i think that's where we've gone wrong that we change our we just consume other people's content or we just we don't we don't create content for ourselves we don't change we don't create new forms of consciousness for ourselves. And I think if you, if you can empower people to do that, then, you know, that's, that's the new world. Right. And I, and I, I guess a question might be, sorry, and you, I didn't answer your question about the VR and AR mm -hmm. stuff. So yeah, obviously, um, virtual reality is dangerous because it could lead to more hikikomori, you know, the Japanese aren't even using VR really at the moment. It hasn't really taken off as we expected, um, um, uh, you know, it's still, it's still on its way on, in terms of a mass scale adoption, but it boxes you in, you know, it is, um, you know, it is, it is an isolation, another form of isolation, but it can be very empowering if you use it for the right application areas. So for meditation, for going inward, but I think augmented reality is a fascinating area where we can be back in the world and actually, what's really important is to to be aware of all the wonders in the world and to you know that most people know all the logos or the top 25 logos but they don't know what the top 25 trees are you know they so if you can help people by giving them a layer of information over the over the real world that will empower them to to have interests in the world again to to you know use something like pokemon go to get people out there to vote or to get people out there to meet other like-minded people i mean these things are massive double-edged swords but for one for one example you've got mark farid who's gonna wear the oculus rift for a month and look through somebody else you know he's not gonna have access to his own eyes or his own hearing for a month and um, he's chosen a month because that's how long it takes to form habits mm -hmm. So what he's testing is that whole question of what is the personality? Mm -hmm. Is the personality fluid anyway? And if you know, you know, a lot of people go on Vipassanas for 10 days at a time and they, and a lot of people can't handle it because suddenly without talking, without being able to look at any form of media and you're just there with your own thoughts and suddenly the thoughts fall away and then you're like, well, what actually is there? Mm-hmm. One, one challenge with trying to figure that out is getting clear on, I don't think you can get clear on it, but what period of time should be used to evaluate what comes up? You might have, let's say, a very strange 20 minutes, right? Or a strange few weeks, mm. but how you act in the world in relationship to other people, how you relate to yourself later on over a, a long period of time, it seems to me this is also relevant when understanding the personality and its effects. Mm. But 
this kind of problem comes up for me in lots of thinking at the moment. It's just not clear over over what period of time judgments are relevant. And part of my concern or one area that I could see hasty conclusions being drawn as to what's really real is, is like one way to put it would be almost like fetishes, fetishizing the present mm. because in some profound sense that is what's most real i mean mm. that's the moment we're sharing right now but if you take the idea of the unconscious seriously well then there's a whole bunch of stuff that's unconscious mm. right and that stuff is still playing out to some degree you can still construe those different parts of yourself as having aims and being involved in the world at different levels and over different periods of time and yeah, you'd want to be very clear, let's say, that certain things were not being repressed or mm. or what have you. So, yes, it's very challenging, isn't it? Because you also think of the human being as something which develops over time. And there's plenty that has not yet come out in the child that might one day come out that has them be president or a ruler or mm. a magician mm. or whatever it is. And, and like an acorn becoming an oak tree, what is possible at the fullest extent of actualization is is not clear and there's a certain sense in which you can only be in touch with that in the most vague ways that you almost sort of vibe off other people and i don't really know what to make of all of that it's just it's just thoughts as far as it goes but you're right i mean i think the present moment everyone says about let's be present it's the most important thing to be present but actually i get a lot out of just jumping out of the present moment and having this kind of double consciousness where mm -hmm. I'm able to, because I've written a diary for like 30 years, so I can, you talk about the subconscious mm -hmm. and, and how deep and how vast that is as an mm -hmm. area to play in. Um, and that's part of what my, my diary is. So I can like jump out of the local view and jump into this macroscopic view where I can see the overview, mm -hmm. get the overview effect. Mm -hmm. And you know, with uh, the astronauts that suddenly saw the planet, mm -hmm. Um, from that perspective, having a huge, mm -hmm. almost like a non-dual experience. Mm -hmm. So I think once you realize that there's lots to be gained when you're not in the present moment, then that really gives you an in, in, impetus to actually do the quantified self thing, right. you know, be, do track your, your, your behavior over time. Because I, I like to see how creative I've been over a month. Right. You know, and and that inspires me in that next moment to do more, to be creative. And actually, right. when you write a diary, it's almost like a, a feedback loop. So you get to the point where you're, I'm writing my diary in order to live my life and, or, and not to repeat myself. Mm -hmm. So because I've, I, know, I've, I know what I've written over 30 years, um, I know what I don't want to keep doing. Right. And also you can take cross sections through your life. So you can look at this day last year and the year before and the year before and the year before and the year before. And use that in a way that you can never use your real memory. Yeah. So to use it as a technology, actually, yeah. and and you turning your life into architecture yeah. allows all of those phases of of your life to start communicating again. Right. And that's a, again a hugely powerful way of actually. I mean, it's interesting because people talk about that as a sort of turning your life into a commodity or whatever. But I just think that we only live for a thousand months, hmm. and actually people feel immortal. So if you if you actually do record stuff, then it's an incredible engine for 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 learning and for for innovation. Right. I've heard you talk about memory palaces mm. before, mm. and 
I find that really fascinating, almost like a superpower. Yeah. I've heard people speak about, they go to places in their minds. And I think it was you who mentioned that this is what some of the Greek orators would do yeah. to memorize long speeches. Yeah. Could you describe that, what that is sure. like for you? Sure. So, I mean, I, uh, my background was art history, then I did computer science and then I did architecture for seven years. And um, when I was doing architecture, I was 3D modeling a lot. And I, and I noticed it changed my brain. You know, it did something to me mm. doing all that 3D modeling. And um, I'm still trying to understand it. But because I was modeling very large ancient buildings, I suddenly had like, I could see further down the road when I was driving. Mm. So it had all these unintended consequences. But then I learned about memory palaces and memory palaces very simply are this um, system of holding information so the greek orators didn't write their seven hour speeches down they held them in virtual space in their heads in in architecture so they would typically have an amphitheater and that amphitheater would be filled with their seven hour speech and then they would just walk through it in order to trigger the whole seven hour speech so what did they have that we lost with the technology of writing and literacy and can we go back to something like that with augmented reality because augmented reality is putting information into space again. Mm. So, you know, can we, can we, you know, have a superpower mm. from adopting that ancient methodology and applying it to our modern tech? Mm. Yeah, it's very, very fascinating. Something else that came up for me as well, back on the theme we're talking before about relating to the present and then also getting that oversight on it. There's this, I wonder if there's any, if, if that kind of maps onto a distinction you can make between meditation and contemplation, mm. a kind of retreating, let's say, from identifying with particular thoughts or images that come to mind and trying to allow things to rise and let them pass, sort of identifying more with, with the flow and experience as such without getting too caught up on any one given fixation of it. Mm. And then the converse of that, which is still done in a mindful way in some sense, is then the putting, and the first part is kind of like breaking up the frame. The second part is kind of like putting the frame back together and mm. getting this way of talking from an excellent cognitive scientist called John Bavayaki, mm. um, who will also be having on the podcast soon actually. And I, I think that kind of distinction was really helpful for me in trying to understand the value of dropping in and out of a certain, it's just like almost like the different parts of a, of a flow state to some degree. You're trying mm. to be really pre present, but then, allowing insight and, and building out the right kind of insight and grasping the world again. It's got breaking it up and then remaking it. Mm. And I think, I don't know, that it came up for me as something going on there. And it's, it's almost like something to be striven for in conversation as well. Like mm. we were talking before in what this would be like to do this. And I'm fascinated by what it is to cultivate the right kind of relationship in conversation mm. so that you can properly attend without grasping like, what, what am I thinking I have to say next? What precisely am I trying to do here? To, to really listen and then to get in the mode where you can identify with the right things, mm. you know, and then build them out. And look, there's, there's a lot that has to go into it, but there's, there's something I like about that distinction there. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I'm very interested in the default mode network and the power of psychedelics to turn it off temporarily and right. for us to get into that altered state where we're, where we're not having that brain chatter. Yes. You know, and um, I think if we can 
maybe not rely on psychedelics to do that, but mm -hmm. find other ways of doing it regularly. Mm -hmm. um, and I know there are many methods and I'm really interested in creating like a database of them and putting, creating a stack of all these mm -hmm. different methods and like just getting it out there so that people can, can, because what's really interesting is that you can create a stack of all these different ways of doing just that, but then each person will react differently to each technique. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the, the stack you need to create. Mm -hmm. It's also an awareness that each culture is different. Each gender is different. Each, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an absolute, it's a, it's a huge minefield and that, and ethically obviously huge as well. But I, I think that it's the time to do it because that's what I'm talking about with context engineering. It's right. about moving between different contexts and, learning from them and building on them and, and, you know, moving away from a con content based economy to, to actually looking at our perception as the content and actually changing the already existing content content out there infinitely just by changing the way we see it. Mm, very interesting. Is this to do with moist media? What is, what is moist media? So moist media is um, Roy Ascot's term and it's, it's about, it's about looking at the, the combination of dryware with wetware. So, you know, you've got technology being the dryware and the, the, the biology being the wetware. So, you know, psychedelics with VR, that's already, you know, a huge area. Um, there's, a, there's a group on um, Reddit called Rift in the Mind mm -hmm. where they're doing lots of different VR experiences with different psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's a new science, really. I mean, you think about we don't really understand VR on its own. We mm -hmm. don't know, we, you know, psychedelics mm -hmm. are now having a, a, a second renaissance. So we're getting to understand a little bit more, but we're still scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. So we're already combining. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm talking about with this cookery book. Yeah. But I think that we, we shouldn't, just because of the complexity, we shouldn't be um, scared. We should actually just be, you know, crowdsourcing everything and getting, you know, getting people to, to contribute to, to this science, these new sciences. Yeah, well, there's certainly no shortage of uh, explorative types like you who are willing to do that. Mm. It does strike me that there's a certain sort of individual who's more cut out for it than another. But, you know, what also came up for me there, and it, it gets to this difficulty in preparing experiences for everyone because we do have these differences. Mm. And so in Stan Groff's research where he worked with or studied thousands a couple thousand patients um i think in the 60s maybe 50s maybe they began then mm. he's pretty old and in with psycholytic therapy with various doses of of lsd and the sort of map that he charts is one in which for many people most of the time to get to the transpersonal state so mm. some of this stuff we're talking about non-dual experiences or maybe ancestral experiences or atemporal experiences or out-of-body experiences that actually there's a whole layer lots of layers of what you might understand more is just the individual unconscious mm. various issues and traumas and not just traumas but other things complexes that have been developed in the individual life Groff would argue since the birthing process that have to be worked through in some sense mm. before you can get to the get to these other other places and it's like god that's so that's so variable right mm. so to even engage in the kind of unpacking or remembering 
becomes such an individual experience and you have to be very careful of, of what's brought up during that. Mm. Yeah, we were talking the other night actually about this, um, the trauma of birth, mm. you know, and how that sort of affects you forever. You know, the, the, your, your birth, whether it was traumatic or it's always traumatic, right? I mean, but it's a question of how traumatic and the first two years of your life are so key to, to your development. And, and I think, it, yeah, it's, it's, um, this is, a, I presume, what makes us all so individual that we, that we have such variations in these. We're being fucked in slightly different ways. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, again, it's a, it's a tricky, it's, a, it's, it's tricky to, to let that, stop you you know and i think no, that we, we right. need to we need to overcome our our fear-based you know we're so locked into fear and fear is the mind killer mm. you know and then all sorts of other you know killers in every other level so i think if we can empower people to you know understand that it's all that it's narratives it's all narratives that we need to we need to stop telling ourselves certain things and we need to realize that worrying is a misuse of the imagination. Mm. We need to start telling ourselves the ones that are helpful because we're not going to escape the narrative. No. Right? So, you know, and I think in part, this is why figures like Jordan Peterson, who have become all of a sudden incredibly famous public intellectuals, they are reconnecting many people with ancient stories in ways that are more comprehensible to let's say the, a more analytically minded group of people but mm. everyone archetypal stories are speaking not only to the the sort of affective emotional side of us but also that we can understand the the benefits of narrative and its function in ways that can be made commensurate with some of the meaning making processes in cognition that can be understood from a more rational scientific perspective see i like i'm i'm hesitant to when it comes to the the topic of rewriting narratives unless it's done in such a way where one is connected with uh like an appropriate life-giving narrative right mm. so if, if, mm. you, if you're if you're oriented towards some kind of positive transformation like i don't, I don't know the right way to say this but i think there has to be some kind of intention towards betterment for yourself and others mm. in this connected way. Like I, that has to be part of this reimagination mm. of, of, of what society can be. Because we know it's going to change massively and it's not a matter of um, burying our heads about it and it's not a matter of letting fear and worry stop necessary exploration. But it's still surely crucial to try and get as close to the cusp as possible of what memes are currently gripping us what in them is vital what in them needs to be changed mm. I, I don't think we can escape that kind of waking like a philosophy as a kind of waking up into who you are where who you are becomes in some sense the recognition of a different string that you weren't sure was being pulled before but now it was there being pulled all along and and maybe you can orient the process somehow and and maybe in with this stack you talk about going mm. to these other states of consciousness you can get some kind of apprehension of the whole somehow mm. but mm. then all of a sudden we come back and we're now now part of the you know just a part again like i feel myself right now not 
that pleased with what I can bring forward. And mm. given how some of this night's gone with the change of venue and, mm, and everything mm. like that, it's it's this switch up switch up between perspectives and what you can bring to the table. But there's nevertheless, I don't know. I'm I'm interested in what you can seek within that flow and what can bring them all together again. And look, it's all it's all very confusing. Mm. It's all very confusing. Mm. Um please comment if anything yeah i mean I, one thing i'd say is that i'm really interested in perceptual persistence you know like not not just altered altered states but altered traits mm -hmm. you know and and metaprogramming you know it's like all the things that you're describing all of this um you know noise if you like it's like how do we how do we turn the volume down on our on our neuroses or whatever it is you want to call it and how do we how do we get into flow states through good diet, good sleep, good, mm -hmm. just basic, um, but don't be obsessed with like, uh, you know, positive thinking or anything. I think that it, we need to be more positively indifferent. We actually need to be more Taoist. We need to mm -hmm. accept all of the stuff mm -hmm. that comes in and, mm -hmm. and not try and not try and like hide from the bad times because that, you know, we know that, shit happens right? right so it's right it's all about how you respond right. to it and and that's that's again what context engineering is about is like you know it's a form of alchemy you're you're you know you're it's you're very lucky to be alive mm. um no matter what the circumstances are and i think it's non-duality you know the death state is arguably you know always around the corner we live for such a short amount of time and i think that we you know we're 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 in this this uh, this local point of view, but also right in the Godhead right. at the same time. Right. Yes. No. I th I think I think that's really beautifully put, and it's something about the process of relating between these two states. Although, of course, on in some sense, the the if you being in the Godhead is like pure potential, and mm. so it's everything, but mm. nothing because you can't conceive it. Uh, from the other state and then the other state is all possible kinds of actualization so it's not precisely two states right it's mm. all the differentiation and flux of life that somehow in process that that the, the process of mediation uh, we find ourselves sort of um we are on that train mm. and um you know and there's ways i think to affirm being on that train and there are ways to or attitudes you can take rather of affirmation and uh, and i think in that mode it's something like a loving affirmation because it's a self i, I, I can't conceptualize it as anything else other than a, a self-love which then becomes love for everything mm. and then conversely and the, the the more the more tragic alternative is to sort of look at that as some sort of just continual parody and but it's like no love love affirmation for it i i don't see an alternative and it seems more real somehow and something about experiences processes practices individually collectively that enable the the recognition of this dynamic 
fascinating and important and um yeah it's really cool to hear you you put it like that actually because in so many ways that dualism that dynamic there mm. is, is what's been um a motivating relationship to articulate for me mm. and i think it's one that is part of the uh current conversation in an important sense i want to talk to you for a lot longer but i we both just heard the, the footsteps of the manager of this venue outside we didn't talk about dmt we didn't talk about so many things but i think we are going to talk about a lot more in the future so carl mate thank you yeah. thank you